the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number two underway now. Seven minutes after 10 o'clock on this Wednesday, the 23rd morning of the second month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Appreciate you being with us. Thanks again to Sarah Chambers and to Jim Renace, who joined us in hour number one. We've been doing a lot of Ohio politics the last few days. Talked to Joe Blystone yesterday, heard some things. Needed Jim Renace and Sarah Chambers to respond to those today. They stepped up. And now we uh, go outside the Buckeye State a little bit, really, and kind of go global here. No, not globalist, but we have to talk about what's going on in Eastern Europe and joining us to do that. And more, of course, is our good friend Peter Kersnow, longest-serving member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, best-selling author. Excuse me. Uh, also a, uh, a sometime columnist, sometime law professor, and of course uh, a partner in his downtown Cleveland law firm, Peter Kirsten. Now, good morning, sir. How are you? Doing well, Bob. Waiting for spring and summer. It's that time of year when you know what we're kind of done. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> we had a little, little bit of a respite, and now we're back to uh, you know this gloomy kind of weather again. Yeah, it's so funny. You look outside your window and you see grass for the first time in a long time. It's like, all right, we made it through, and then you see the forecast. <laughs> It's coming right back again. I'm I'm with you. All right, uh, Peter Kersnow, uh It's not raining or snowing uh, precipitation in eastern Ukraine. It's going to be raining bullets and bombs and all kinds of other things that go with war uh, based upon what we are seeing and hearing. So I want to uh, talk about this from a number of angles, Pete, and ask you questions from a number of angles, the first of which is, is Vladimir Putin right now really responsible for all of this, or is he just accepting the invitation that was offered him by Joe Biden when he said... ...will be held accountable if it invades, and it depends on what it does. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion, and then we end up having a fight about what to do and not do, etc. Be held so if it's uh, if it's just a minor incursion, yeah, then there might not be some big sanctions or anything like that, and then we'll have to fight about what to do and what not to do. Um, as the Ukrainian people said uh, immediately after, uh, there are no minor incursions and there are no smaller countries. This is sovereign territory or it's not. Um, it sounds to me, and, and of course the other part that I, I've got to play for you here before you start your response, Pete, is, is going back to Joe Biden in early 2020 talking about, um, uh, talking about uh, the Putin threat uh, and uh, the Ukrainian threat. Ukrainian threat. Russians are trying to. Yeah, hold on, Joe. Hold on, Joe. I'm going to play it, uh, but I want Pete to have the context of this. This is in early. I think it was May of 2020 election year, and when he talked about his foreign policy credentials compared to those of Donald Trump, and that Vladimir Putin would never 
ever dare do something like this on his watch. Listen. Once again, Putin and the Russians are trying to engage in our elections and decide who the president's going to be. And this time I'm the object of their attention. Because Putin knows if I am president of the United States, his days of tyranny and trying to intimidate the United States and those in Eastern Europe are over. I'm going to stand up to him. He's a bully, just like the president. And I know he doesn't want me to be president, but to tell you what, when I'm president, things are going to change. All right, Peter Kersenow. So that was Biden in 2020. In 2022, or actually, yeah, it was in 2022. It was, eh, if it's a minor incursion, no big deal. And here we go. Um, how much blame does the Biden administration bear in what's happening right now? Well, you know, look, realistically, you've got to give all the blame to Vladimir Putin. But he, would not, he didn't do this under Trump. He didn't do this under Trump because he knew that he wouldn't be allowed to do it under Trump. And he was salivating for Biden to get elected. As usual, almost everything Biden says is just 100 percent the opposite of what the truth is or what the facts are. And when he says Putin didn't want him to be president, it was 180 degrees different from what the reality was. Putin couldn't wait to get this weak, dumb individual into office. Elections have consequences. Many of us saw this coming. You and I talked about this several times. We predicted that if uh, Biden were elected, we would be seeing consequences like this with China incursions on, uh, not just incursions, invading of Taiwan, and Putin doing whatever he wanted to do, frankly. The last time Putin saw an opportunity like this was back in 2014 under Obama. He decided, you know what, Um, I think I like Crimea, so I think I'm going to take it. He knew there would be no consequences because Obama was weak. He was telegraphing weakness. Obama telegraphed, frankly, a hatred of his own country. When you have leaders like that, it emboldens people like Putin who understand. I mean, Putin is not concerned about whether or not his armed forces have sufficient diversity, equity, and inclusion. He's not concerned about whether his armed forces aren't focused on climate change. All he cares about is expanding the the uh, the sphere of influence of Russia and also expanding Russia itself, and he's accomplishing that. He is uh, look, the guy is an evil individual. He is horrible in every respect. He's had people killed. I suspect he's killed people himself when he was a KGB officer. Maybe not, but look, this is the kind of individual who orders the killings, and he is a clear-eyed rationalist. He's evil clear-eyed and rationalist, and he took the measure of both Obama and, and Biden. And Biden's worse than, than Obama in terms of um, the danger to the United States, because whereas Obama was feckless and weak, Biden has those qualities compounded by his stupidity. It, 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 it bothers me, and I've said this before, I hate using terms like that about anybody, but especially about the commander-in-chief, but we have to call things as they are because this is an extremely serious situation. We look at this from afar, and yes, it's being covered 24-7, but we think, okay, that's 5,000, 7,000, 8,000 miles away, it's not going to bother us. But we're, dealing with, we're not dealing with a bunch of goat herders in the mountains of Afghanistan. We're dealing with the country that has the most nuclear weapons on the face of the earth. And we're dealing with somebody who I suspect wouldn't be afraid to use them if it, if it advanced his interests. Um, this, well, a, a, well, you, you know, Pete, let me, let me jump in on there a little bit because I want to get some of these points. Um, you're right, a thousand percent right, uh, about what they might do. And, and do you think that they recognize what you and I know? And that is, 
our military right now is probably the weakest it has ever been. Um, and, and our military leadership all the way up to the commander in chief, but including the, uh, you know, defense department, including Mark Milley and, and, and Austin and all the rest. We are at our weakest point militarily from a supply standpoint, from a munition standpoint, from a transport standpoint, and most importantly, from a, an ideological standpoint, because we seem to be more concerned with diversity and wokeness than with preparedness. And I don't think that that is lost on Vladimir Putin or Xi Jinping or anybody else that might have designs on testing the United States military. That's exactly right. Um, you know, when the Pentagon says that the greatest threat to the United States is global warming, Putin starts to salivate. So does Xi. They know we're not serious. They know we're not serious at all. This, you know, we have got phenomenal fighting forces, but we're deteriorating as we speak, and they get it. We have a feckless leadership, not just from Biden, but all the way down. And one of the things that, that triggered, I think, Putin, Putin's decision to go into uh, Ukraine, we said this too, this is not rocket science, was what happened in Afghanistan. I considered that the biggest humiliation of the United States in my lifetime. Putin saw that as the biggest opportunity of his lifetime. He knew at that point that we had a weak and dumb individual at the top of, of, uh, of whom he could take advantage, and that's precisely what he's doing right now. I'm not even sure I mean, I was about to say that I'm not sure that he's even taking Biden seriously into consideration and making his moves. Obviously, he is. Uh, but I think it's less Biden than he is than he's taking into consideration the kind of inevitable response that must come from the United States as a result of his actions. But well, that's, that, that's, the, kind of, that's kind of where I, what I meant when I, my initial question to you was, how much responsibility does the U.S. bear for this? And you said all of the responsibility is Putin's, and I get that, obviously. Uh, he's the one making the moves, and he is a killer, et cetera, et cetera. But how much of... You know, the responsibility is the weakness that we portray uh, yeah. you know, on the international stage. And and let me follow that, Pete, by asking you this part. Now, Candace Owens is somebody that you have cited and quoted on my show in the past discussing various things. She's, uh, she's terrific, um, and she's a, a very strong conservative woman. Um, but she's opening a lot of eyes, including mine, with some tweets that she sent out yesterday, and I want to share these with you and get your response to it. She's blaming us a lot more than just because we have a weak president. Quote, I suggest every American who wants to know what's actually going on in Russia and Ukraine read this transcript of Putin's address. As I've said for months, NATO, under the direction of the United States, is violating previous agreements and expanding eastward. We are at fault. She capitalized, we are at fault. Then she went on to say in response to critics, Spare me your defending Russia nonsense, remaining ignorant and regarding grand-scale politics which benefit no Americans other than the elites and their business interest in this region, plus the willingness to kill American sons and daughters to do it, is sickening. If you think America has never been the aggressor in war, you are not pro-American, you are pro-ignorance, and your ignorance costs American lives. Stop listening to mainstream media, start studying energy policy, read transcripts from all world leaders to discern the truth. So, Pete, she's being hit hard. She's a conservative. She's supposed to be like us, pro-America, uh, and she is now being accused of being anti-America and pro-Putin. Excuse me, pro-Putin by uh, blaming the United States and NATO for this uh, this debacle in the making. 
Yeah, she's not pro-Putin, but uh, I don't agree with the cast of her comments. As I said at the outset, this is Putin. We're not doing this, you know, but weakness invites aggression. This is not our fault that he's doing this. I mean, this is his initiative. But if we had not done all the things that Candace has has talked about, if we didn't have this kind of uh, incestuous relationship with oligarchs, frankly, all across Eastern Europe, you look at it. One of the things that if we had a responsible media, we would know or more people would know is to what extent the relationship between Biden and Zelensky, Biden and oligarchs in Ukraine had to do with the formulation of his approach to Ukraine defense and our Ukraine policy generally. We don't care about that. We make up four years of complete lies about Trump and Russia. And then while we're, uh, you know, excoriating Trump and going nuts about that for four years, Putin is incrementally making advances and setting the stage for incursions into Ukraine and elsewhere. You know, we're concerned also about the Baltic countries. And you and I talked about it a couple of years ago, I think. My concern was I thought he was going to go into Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. Um, a little bit more of a challenge there because there, we've got troops there, etc. But, uh, you know, he's decided, you know, I'm going to go into Ukraine we can't discount his looking to Georgia again. You know, he went into Georgia during the um, um, uh, Obama administration. Uh, he has grand designs to reconstitute the Soviet Union. That's his fault. I disagree with the way in which Candace Owens frames that, but much of what she has to say bears further examination, just as I said at the outset. It's Putin being the aggressor, but he's the aggressor because he senses that the United States is weak, that the people at the top are extremely weak and incompetent. One of the other things, again, weakness invites aggression, but stupidity does too. One of the greatest mistakes we've made in the last three or four days was to send Kamala Harris over there to say anything whatsoever. Uh, I mean, I'll go back to the days when I used to box and, you know, a little bit of a misspent childhood. You get into fights from time to time. And there are certain things that kind of make your the hairs on the back of your head or back of your neck kind of stand up with aggression. And that is when you see weakness or stupidity. Um, We send Kamala Harris over there. And I have no doubt Putin is watching this going like, how could we be losing to these idiots? It's one of the things that I think when whenever we do things, such as you said at the outset with respect to uh, Biden thinking out loud, I didn't even think that was possible for him, but Biden thinking out loud and saying, you know, well, if it's just an incursion, a minor incursion, you know, that will engender a certain set of responses. If it's something else, there's going to be another set of responses. He's telegraphing. Someone said very responsibly, I think, or reasonably, that what Biden was doing in that instance was he was he was saying out loud what he must have heard in some type of briefing. And you can't do things like that, obviously, because it has significant titanic geopolitical consequences. And yet this is what we elected as president. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's you. I'm glad you mentioned the leadership at the top and didn't stop with just Biden and his uh, his extraordinary weakness that he portrays. Um, we have to talk about Kamala, too. And and the latest word salad that we got came in Europe. <laughs> it came in Europe 
And, you know, Pete, uh, it, it, it's on the world stage. It's one thing for her, to, for her to embarrass herself and her boss and the administration in the country doing an interview with, uh, you know, with the Today Show with a word salad. But when she goes over there to try to intimidate and, and, um, uh, you know, deter Vladimir Putin from taking this this illegal, uh, you know, international uh, violation of of international law action, and she can't formulate a coherent sentence or two. Um, again, you you keep saying it. Putin must be salivating. This is who they sent. Are you kidding me? I mean, this this blithering idiot can't rub two you know sentences together. And this is who's supposed to come over here and tell us what to do. Again, we've never looked weaker. You got a dementia adult old man who's confused and 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 weak uh, as president and you've got just a a woman who is just quite frankly maybe the dumbest human being ever to opera, uh, uh, ever to um uh, hold one of the top two positions in American government. Right, and also Anthony Blinken, our Secretary of State. I mean, you, you take a look at a year ago his performance in front of the Chinese up in Alaska. Um that was a humiliation and that was our first international foray and we were completely handed our lunch. It was an embarrassment on steroids. I don't care the fact that the media tries to cover for them. The media tries to temporize and say, oh, it's a great thing we don't have Trump there anymore. You know, my goodness. The media can try to buffalo us as much as it wants to. It's been doing it for years now, and especially over the last five years. But they're not fooling the Putins and the Xi's of the world. That's the problem. We're fooling ourselves. We're deluding ourselves into thinking that we're more more uh, powerful or we project a greater presence than we actually do to Putin and Xi, who take the measure of the Kamala Harris's of the world and Biden and think like, you know, they're saying, like, how could we be losing to these idiots? So you've got Blinken out there, you've got uh, Harris, you've got Biden and so many other members of this administration. And as a number of people have said, over the last, say, 10, 15 years, we have seen our so-called elite class. I know Tucker has talked about this a little bit, and so have a lot of others. But our elite class have exposed themselves as being not just mendacious, but mediocre. Just yeah. really not very impressive people at all. And I don't know, we, we could spend hours talking about why, the, why that is. But the elite class that is not just mediocre, but they don't really... I, I, want, I want to say this in a way that's respectful, but I, many of us, I think, doubt the kind of vibrant allegiance to the United States of America that we would expect of our political elites, our military elites, our business elites, and others. We see so many of them expose or express a hatred toward America or... Uh, a fondness for globalism, uh, quite frankly. They're so rabidly anti-nationalist and anti-America first, they literally are in favor of, of global, uh, you know, the, the, the Great Reset, quite frankly. And I think that's the way I would describe that. Pete, got to take a time out here. We'll come back. Game 1420, the answer. Okay, 1027, short segment here with Kersenau, but don't fret. We've got him for another one after the bottom of the hour news. Pete, I was just uh, listening to another one of uh, Kamala's word salads, and um, it's it's amazing to me when she does this again in a TV interview. It's another thing when she says it on the world stage in response to uh, one uh, um, uh, bully nation invading a sovereign nation. Not a NATO ally, but still. And it reminded me of that time when she was, um, uh, you know, before she entered politics, when she was a beauty pageant from South Carolina. Do you remember uh, this with, with uh, Kamala Harris? I personally believe that U.S. Americans are unable to do so 
because uh, some people out there in our nation don't have maps and uh, I believe that our ed education like such as in South Africa and uh, the Iraq everywhere like such as and I believe that they should uh, our education over here in the US should help the US or should help South Africa and should help the Iraq and the Asian countries so we will be able to build up our future the question she just answered, by the way, was why can't one-fifth of Americans find the United States on a world map? <laughs> That's the first thing yeah. I think of. Every time Kamala opens her mouth, I think of that poor girl from South Carolina in the Miss Teen USA pageant in 2007, Pete. She's now the vice president, at least the same intellect. Yeah, that's that's uh, that that's a real danger. I mean, we do have somebody who is. I mean, she's really. I've wondered how the heck she could become attorney general for the state of California. My understanding is that she did fail the bar exam at least once. Do you really still, wonder? Some, do you really wonder how well, she got? No, where she I, got? no, I, I, I don't know. I'm. I'm <laughs> <laughs> Come on. But nonetheless, she she truly is impressively dumb. Yeah. Um, and everyone can see that, and no matter what the media tries to do to tell us how remarkable she and Biden are, they're not fooling Xi, they're not fooling Putin. And that's the problem. We can be in this era of self-delusion if we want to. Maybe we'll get away with it for a few years, but reality has a way of imposing itself, and that's what's happening in Georgia, I'm sorry, in Ukraine, unfortunately. And it happened in Georgia, it happened in Alsatia, it happened in Crimea in years before when they saw that Obama was, was similarly weak. Pete, let me stick on Kamala for, for a second, uh, because some people, and give me a 30-second answer here. Some people have said that the Biden administration, meaning the Biden campaign, knew exactly what they were doing when they chose her. She's the insurance against the 25th Amendment. She is his security policy that he can finish out his term. I don't think that's the case. I mean, that's very clever, and I heard that, and I remember reading about that years ago, you know, over a year ago. People were saying that. I don't think so. I think that this was done because he wanted to meet. Look, just like he yesterday, he interviewed three individuals to be the first black female to be uh, on the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. This is how much of the left thinks. This is what Biden did, not because he thinks, because I'm not sure that there's a whole lot of thinking going on, but because he thinks this is the best way for him to satisfy certain constituencies on the left. And so he I got errors. Yeah, and, and I, I completely understand that, and I agree. Uh, and by the way, I don't know if people know this, too, but the individual that he has chosen as his uh, uh, kind of point person on finding the right Supreme Court justice happens to be one of the founding board members of BLM, Black Lives Matter. So yeah. we're going to have somebody who has Marxist principles in their heart choosing a member of the United States Supreme Court for Joe Biden. Just to chew on that for a moment. We'll take a news break. We'll come back with Kirsten now after this. Right with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. All right, 1037. We uh, continue with for one more segment now with Peter Personnel. Um, her name is Minion Moore, Pete. I kind of just threw this in as an add on at the end of the last segment, but I'll give you a minute here to, here to comment on this. 
Minion Moore was chosen by Joe Brandon uh, as one of the leaders of his search team to find a replacement for Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer. Minion Moore described as a top public affairs strategist and organizer who has been tasked by Biden to, quote, mobilize a nationwide engagement effort focused on confirmation of an eventual nominee, end quote, uh, which all sounds well and good. What was missing from her bio was Minion Moore's status as a board member of the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation and also an advocate for critical race theory. All of this reported in the Washington Examiner, uh, including uh, many of her past statements in support of this. Pete, how can we have somebody who represents an, an admitted Marxist organization, which is what Black Lives Matter, Inc., is, uh, who believes in critical race theory and the uh, division of of people and most particularly children uh, when it comes to the color of their skin? How can we have that person helping to choose? I'm guessing somebody with similar ideologies to sit on our court because that's far how far left the political Democrats, the socialists have gone. Uh, they really have gone that far. And there's no check on them because the media is in complete consonance with them. It's a, I believe, a strategic, a tactical, if not strategic error on the part of the Biden administration to do that because during the confirmation process, what's going to happen is there are going to be questions about whether or not whoever the eventual nominee is, who I feel sorry for, um, has uh, opinions or um, stances that are similar to or consonant with that of BLM. They're going to be asked those kinds of questions. It's a difficult position to put somebody in. But Biden's already put that person in an extremely difficult position because, as we've discussed before, by limiting his choice to a black female, that individual, whoever it is, regardless of how sterling her credentials may be, will forever, for no reason, no, you know, it's not her fault, but she's forever going to be viewed as the black female justice, the affirmative action pick. She could be coming up with the greatest opinions ever written by a sitting Supreme Court justice, but unfortunately, it's going to be viewed through the lens of race and sex, because that's the lens through which she was selected. And as I said before, if I, if, if he had said, for example, I'm only going to uh, consider for the Supreme Court um, black male, bald black males with handlebar mustaches, um, I wouldn't interview for that because it would be so demeaning to do so. Yeah, but you know, it, it's just I, I, this is what Biden is, and this is unfortunately what much of the left has become: this paint by race, paint by color, that is doing nothing but hurting the United States of America. Well, and it's doing, and I think a lot of people are getting sick of it now. I think it's starting to reach a critical mass because you've seen some of the polling numbers, how much Hispanics are rejecting the uh, the Democratic Party, and now sure. you know blacks have been you know giving their vote. For anywhere from 88 to 92 percent to the Democratic Party. And right now they're polling at about 65 percent in favor of the Democratic Party. That's never right. been seen before. And that's you know, it's a clear reach out, obviously, to that minority base. There's no doubt about it. But, you know, as bad as it is to choose a Supreme Court justice based on what she looks like and uh, the fact that she is a female as opposed to a male rather than qualifications is one thing. It's worse to me to make sure that one of those or to allow rather one of those uh, uh, tasked with finding the right person is somebody with BLM ideology. That's the part yeah. that really is 
troubling about this minion, minion more story. Uh, Pete, let me pivot now to uh, COVID and to the CDC. You have seen this, I'm sure, already. Uh, but for those who have not, the CDC has admitted, let me say that again, this is not an allegation against the CDC, the CD ha- CDC has admitted that they have left out a significant chunk, a massive chunk, as a matter of fact, of the research and the statistics that they have been keeping about COVID, from COVID cases and how they are, div- and, and hospitalizations and deaths, and how they are divided up demographically by race, by age, etc. Um, they have the, the part that they left out in their reporting is 18 to 49 year olds. By far, the outside of young children, by far the least likely to have been impacted by COVID-19 in one of those severe and dramatic ways, hospitalizations or deaths. They left it out and declared they did so because that information could be misused by some to uh, argue against some of their very, very important and cautious COVID uh, healthcare protocols. They said that the information wasn't released because it was not ready for prime time. Pete, I don't know about what you about you, but here's what I heard. I heard we don't tell the people the truth because the people can't handle the truth. The people can't be trusted with the facts to make up their minds. We have to tell them what only what we they we think they deserve to know and that they should act accordingly. They're literally hiding information uh, from the people that might lead to some sort of an end to COVID lockdowns, restrictions, and mandates. Right. And it's because, as we've seen over the last two years, the manipulation on the part of much of the bureaucracy, but much of the left in the media and Democrats, um, they were rewarded in large part because of all of the election changes that were made by getting a president that they wanted because of COVID, in large part. And they're going to try to replicate that. So we've been manipulated for the last two years. They've been you know, releasing data that favors a particular narrative. Fauci's been doing the same thing when he talked about masking, whether or not the efficacy of masking justifies, you know, wearing. at first, remember, he said masks won't do anything. And then he said, well, maybe they'll do something, but um, only in certain environments. Then he said, well, maybe two masks. He's been all over the map. The trust people have in these institutions has been evaporating for a reason, and that's because they've been playing these games, as you've just indicated, manipulating data, because they don't think... They, they're. Look, their explanation allegedly is they don't think we're ready for this information, that we can't handle it, we can't use this kind of information rationally, we're not smart enough to do so. That's the subtext to what they have to say. But the the auxiliary... Actually, they know, the actually, one, they know we're smart, Pete. That's the reason they don't want us to have the information. It's not that we're not smart enough to get this information. It's just that when we get this information, we're going to be smart enough to say, look at that. The, the facts are that this is done. This is over. There's no need for anybody 18 to 49 to get a booster. There's no reason to continue the national emergency that Joe Biden just very quietly, by the way, no press conference, announced that the exp- expiration date of the national health emergency that led to all of these protocols uh, expires in March, and that date has been extended now indefinitely. There's no new end date. It's just that the health emergency continues. Go ahead. And they're going to continue to manipulate us as long as they think they can get political benefit from it. And that's going to extend beyond the election. You know, here we are two years out 
it went from, what was it, uh, two weeks to flatten the curve or 15 <laughs> days to flatten the curve. Yeah. And here we are, and it's going to continue as long as it p- provides political, and I would say beyond that, a kind of psychic benefit to many on the left right now, because they've gone completely hysterical in many respects in terms of this whole masking protocol. We see it up in Canada and everything else. But, um, you know, we've seen polls that show that the continuation of masking is supported by something like 80% of those on the left and 15 to 20% of those on the right. We've gotten it. When a health issue becomes a political divide, you know something really went seriously off the rails with, with respect to the information provided by the media to the public, by, by our bureaucracy to the public. And of all the billions of dollars these folks get, they have served us horribly. We have gotten such unreliable and inconsistent information. No one knows, you know, realistically how to comport themselves, uh, but we've just used common sense to decide, you know, I'm not going to wear a mask anymore, or I'm going to live my life the way it is, because these folks clearly don't know anything, and to the extent they know anything, they're trying to pull the rug over, or pull the wool over our eyes. Yeah, and, you know, again, the the recognition that we might actually be able to figure things out for ourselves and make our own health decisions if they provide the, the, the full and accurate reporting, uh, you know, is, is kind of, um, it, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of borne out here. Uh, I have in front of me, Pete, the International Alliance of Doctors and Medical Scientists, 17,000 physicians and medical scientists strong have declared in a statement the COVID national emergency over, and they have called on Congress to restore constitutional democracy by ending Biden's emergency powers. Pete, you and I know, and you are a student of history much, much better than I, that no dictator has ever given up power voluntarily. It has to be taken from him, either by force or some other uh, some other method. But nobody who has massive powers gives them up by choice. Well, here's another example of that. Biden says, nope, we're keeping our emergency powers in place, and it's going to take something like this, Congress to rise up. And that is going to have to include, unless it happens after November, some Democrats, they're going to have to rise up and take this back. And they always tell us to follow the scientists. 17,000 medical scientists and doctors strong uh, are petitioning Congress to do this. This is what it's going to have to, it, it, what's going to have to happen in order to get them to listen. And also what's going to get them to listen is polling results and just observing the way people are behaving and comporting themselves. So many people have said, I'm done with this. Personally, I said I'm done with this about in May of 2020. I decided to do my own thing. And, you know, I'm not telling people how to live their lives. I just decided how I was going to live my life. And it wasn't consistent with the way in which the politicians were telling us because I thought it was just simply moronic what I was hearing from them. But what will get the attention of those in positions of power is whether or not they're going to continue to have that power come November. And they've seen the polling results. That's why you're seeing all this relaxation of various masking protocols and COVID-related protocols generally, because the Democrats and the left in the media, but I repeat myself, have figured out that they are in horrible shape politically by insisting on this masking theater and hurting our kids, 
hurting our businesses, hurting our psyches. So they're changing radically. You're seeing this happening across the country. And I think in November... But this is happening at to... the state and local levels, though, as you point out, Pete, and, and not, obviously, at the federal level with the Brandon administration. And, the, and this is kind of underscoring my point. There are people at the local levels and state levels who will be driven by those polls and saying, man, we're getting crucified here. We're going to lose huge. We're going to lose our jobs because people are tired of this. Uh, and so they're willing to act. But Biden is, is the king here. He's the dictator, and at his level, no. No amount of polls are going to change me. I'm not giving up my power to declare this mandate or that mandate for federal employees, for uh, for uh, military personnel, etc. He isn't going to sacrifice or give up his power, no matter what it does, to the little people on the lower levels. He's getting much more pressure from people in Congress who have to face the voters in November. He doesn't have to face the voters for another three years. But they've got to face the voters in six months. He's getting pressure from them. Whether or not he's going to relent, I don't know. I tend to think he will, because he's not very smart and he's not very strong. Uh, That's been the case with this guy for his entire career. It has nothing to do with his age. But you're, you're right about that. He hasn't, I think, figured it out yet. And it's going to take him a while to figure it out. But he is right now, as we speak, he's getting pressure. And you're seeing it also a little bit from the Pelosi's of the world, too. Pelosi is starting to feel pressure from her members. So, you know, she changed, in fact, the the, uh, configuration for the State of the Union speech and made some other minor concessions because she's starting to feel the heat from her members who are getting heat from their constituents. There's going to be, you know, a long time between now and the election. But there should be, as many people have said, a giant red wave, the likes of which we haven't seen in a long time, because I'll just give you one data point. We've talked about a little bit. Generic ballot, Democrats generally have to have a four-point lead in the generic ballot in order to break even in the midterms. Right now, Republicans have a nine-point lead, something that has never been seen before. It wasn't seen in 1994, wasn't seen in 2010. So that augurs a massive red wave, and that's getting the attention of a lot of congressional Democrats. No question about it. Pete, uh, I've got to tell you, I, could, I don't know why, but it popped right into my head. An image of a business card popped into my head when you just said what you said. And I'm picturing the business card saying, Joseph R. Biden, president, not that smart, not that strong. That's it. That's, that's, that. He should hand those out because that is literally what you just said is Joe Biden. And you're right. It could define him. Hell, it could be his new campaign slogan. It's reality. I know it's not something that, that flatters, but it just defines him so well that it could be on his business card. Joseph R. Biden, president, not that smart, not that strong. Here's my number. Peter Kersenow, great stuff. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Thank you, Bob. We'll Take talk care. to you soon. 1052, final segment coming up. is so bad you just have to laugh (laughs) always right with bob france (laughs) i'm laughing too on am 1420 answer he must have uh he must have just heard a kamala harris word salad we all kind of laugh at that (laughs) uh wow 
That's a that's a busy couple of days we just wrapped up here. Um, yesterday, talking to Joe Blystone about his campaign, a lot of strong allegations he hurled at Jim Renacci and his former campaign campaign manager in that interview. Uh, had Shannon, uh, or excuse me, not Shannon, Sarah Chambers on this morning to respond to that. She's the former campaign manager. Had Jim Renacci on to get his side of that. Uh, he's the other uh, primary opponent there. Also talked yesterday with Shannon Burns, Strongsville GOP, and a member of the uh, uh, Republican State Central Committee. Shannon informed me this morning, by the way, that I have uh, risen to public enemy number one among the ORP. Uh, <laughs> I got to tell you. Uh, I like being in first place. Go me. Yay me. Let's Can ma- you <laughs> dig it? If I'm going to be... If I'm going to be public enemy number anything, doggone it, I want to be first. Hashtag winning. Absolutely. Uh, ORP, the feeling is mutual. Bob Paduchek, Mike DeWine... All the rest of those who are completely ignoring rules and protocols and bylaws, all of those who are blocking out media that doesn't tow the party line, trying to cancel Jack Windsor in the Ohio Press Network, trying to cancel Dwayne Pullman in Cincinnati, trying to cancel the Ohio Star because they won't write articles kissing the ORP's rear end. Yeah, the feeling is mutual. I'll take that number one status, and I'll wear that badge like it's a badge of honor. Nobody wants to be second best. If I'm going to be your enemy, let me be your worst enemy. I said this three weeks ago. I will go scorched earth to stop Mike DeWine. All right? Just so we're clear on this. Just so so there's no misunderstanding. I know I can't control the election. I know I can't make anybody change their vote. But I can sure as hell bring the truth to these airwaves every day and help people make informed decisions. Mike DeWine is polling at 35% among Republicans, not overall Ohioans, not 11.5 million Ohioans made up of Republicans, Democrats, and Independents, in just the party, just Republican voters, he's polling at 35%. You know he's despised. I know he's despised. That's why you wouldn't even let him in to the state central committee endorsement meeting. Because he'd be booed by the people there. And yet you endorsed him anyway. And trying to block criticism from said endorsement, you kept critical members of the press out. So now we know. Now we know the ORP does not believe in the First Amendment does not believe in freedom of speech, does not believe in freedom of the press, and does not have the intestinal fortitude to accept challenging questions from guys like me. If your fealty to Mike DeWine makes me public enemy number one, bring it the hell on. I'm ready. And I can do this all the way through May. And I'll tell you this. If your shenanigans end up giving him the Republican nomination, I'll continue it through November. You heard me. I didn't stutter. Thanks to Sarah Chambers. Thanks to Joe Blyce. Or Joe Blystone was yesterday. Beg your pardon. Thanks to Sarah Chambers today. Thanks to Jim Renacci today. And thanks to Peter Kirsten. Thanks to you as well. We'll see you tomorrow. Let's go, Brandon. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.